0: I have the privilege to be able to share a little bit of reflections upon the Word. And not only upon the Word, this time, um, given the topic um, that um, I have chosen, which is um, racial sin, I had to do a lot of study because I did not grow up in the United States, as you know, and (coughs) I had to thank you sure. let's see it Just Great. starts at 0 and ticks up so. thank you uh, <clears throat> i had to learn and uh, <clears throat> the lord had uh, has had me in a in a long-term course of study about these things uh, 2 years ago he had me speak in africa to a large group of christian political government and church leaders, it was a great privilege, there were people from um, many countries, Um, and uh, I had to prepare uh, by studying my topic, which was the North Atlantic slave trade. I studied it for a long time, bought books and read articles and did research, we prepared a video to show them a short little thing to summarize so many facts about a a long period of history. Africa has been a very sorrowful continent, very large, very full of people. Uh, But throughout their history, they have suffered so much at their own hand, at the hand of their own neighbors. Of course, every slave that was taken, wrenched out of their family and land and country, um, was taken by another African uh, to enlarge their power. And and then they were sold to slavers, uh, mainly Portuguese. You know, remember the Pope gave basically that that part of Africa, uh, the coastal to Portugal, um, and most of Hispanic America to the Spaniards. And so I studied all that, and it was terrible. It was wrenching. It was horrible. Uh, Twelve and a half million people taken from their home and dispersed throughout the Atlantic. In the, in the Americas mostly to Brazil largely to the Caribbean and half a million of them sadly to what is today the United States um, the first 20 were captured by pirates and sold here in, in Norfolk um, in this area, uh, in sixteen hundred and nineteen, um, and there begins that tale of sorrows. This our particular national sin. Uh, obviously, that is numerically much, much greater sin, all spread all over the uh, thirty-four countries of the Americas, but. Uh, what makes our sin particularly grievous is that our founders, the the fathers and mothers of this country had brought with them them the word of God. Unlike uh, the Spaniards, for example, in the Hispanic world, who forbade the reading of the word of God a few decades after the beginning of the Conquista. (coughs) And not only they brought the word of God, but many, many of them were godly people. And they uh, set for themselves from the beginning, from the pilgrims on, uh, great and high noble goals. Just last week, uh, uh, Secretary Pompeo, Uh, Our Secretary of State made a wonderful speech in Philadelphia about our inalienable rights. I love the speech. I love to read and think and learn about those things. We have a wonderful and a noble history, and that's really what makes, as he pointed out, America uh, unique, is that upon its founded, they set themselves to go after the highest and noblest of all possible goals. But of course, the contrast is our actual behavior, especially when it comes to the abuse and mistreatment of human beings from Africa, what nowadays we call African Americans, uh, who have also had a tale of great sorrow And, of course, I had to learn about this sorrow over the last couple of weeks. Poor Diana has lived with a very unhappy man uh, as I prepared uh, for this. uh, Because it is grievous. She said, stop talking to me about it. It cuts me to the heart. And it's true. It does cut to the heart. Um, And I hope... uh (coughs) That somehow the Lord will use these few minutes that I have with you today to help you get in touch with God's compassion uh, for these human beings that are all around us, 40 million of them, descendants of those, not those 20, but the half a million ...that were imported over two and a half centuries, 249 years. Slavery lasted in this country formally. And even though it was abolished as a legal system, the mistreatment did not stop by any means, and it has not yet stopped in many quarters and in many ways, as I have learned. Um... And I want to um, refer to the royal law as um, um, James, I have to think in Spanish and translate as James uh, called it in his letter. Um, It is, uh, if you would put it, the great commandment. Uh, no, No, don't put James, put the great commandment. That's it, Mark, thank you. I'm going to stay there. I'm not even sure I'm going to get to James. Um, this is the episode in which, one of the many times the scribes approach Jesus to ask him the, the deep, profound questions. This is one of them. Uh, which commandment is the most important of all? Now, if Jesus says this is the most important commandment, I think we pay attention and we ought to meditate on this, and we ought to uh, examine ourselves and compare our walk and compare our perspective of events as well against this commandment. So Jesus answered, and he says, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's the fact. Out of that fact arises, our consequence and you shall love the Lord your God, the one who's one, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. That alone would be sufficient for a lifetime of sermons. That great commandment to love the Lord our God, who first loved us. That's why we should love him. That's how we can love him. We couldn't love him otherwise. But Jesus added a second part. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now that's a very high standard because being sinners, we are selfish. We love ourselves. We pamper ourselves. We take care of ourselves. We feed ourselves. We entertain ourselves. And the standard is that we shall love our neighbor as ourselves. And he restates the question. There is no other commandment greater than this. In light of this commandment, of course, ourselves and our ancestors fall way, way, way short. Uh, And uh, the reason why I believe, or one of the many reasons why this commandment is the main commandments, is that um, it attacks the very root of sin, which is selfishness. Uh, Our rebellion against God, our pride, drives us to disobey and to put ourselves in the place of God, idolatry. And so, this is the remedy, loving God with all our heart and soul and mind and Capacity, our strength. And then many others that fit into it. Think of a golden rule do unto others as you would want them to do unto you. Again, how short we fall. I fall. We fall. We have fallen, present and past, uh, of that. Uh, <clears throat> and of course, Uh, racism racial is nurtured by racial pride pride in who we are versus you guys the different ones Uh, it's a form of despising your neighbor instead of loving your neighbor and according to a definition of love Laying our lives for our neighbors. That's God's desire. Of course, our selfish, prideful heart wants to exalt ourselves above everybody else. And one way to do that is to lower them and look for ways to reject them to dismiss them, to belittle them, make them smaller in our own eyes. Because, of course, they're not smaller. We're all created equal from the same blood. But in our vain and foolish imagination, we make distinctions. And we look on the outward appearance, whereas God looks on the hearts, on what matters, on the eternal. And we look at the passing and make that the source, our scale of measurements and valuing. It's a disaster. And so, uh, racial pride causes us to dehumanize other people. And that's how those Africans, since forever, since before history began, (laughs) we can tell, that slavery has existed. It exists today in Africa. There are slaves in Africa. Today, in many parts of Africa, not just one little isolated place, Arabs are still stealing Africans and taking them to the Arabian Peninsula to be slave servants over there. Now, this is not a you know, 16th century, 17th century problem. It's being an eternal problem over there. And, of course, greedy Europeans, Portuguese, British, Spanish, caught on to that, and they started buying them by the shipload and selling them wherever they could find buyers. And, unfortunately, those very same godly Christian colonists that had brought the Bible with them and started building churches here they found it profitable to buy human beings and to put them to work for life for their benefit of course they had to force them it was a violent situation it was not a voluntary servitude Uh, it was forced and then they invented laws in Virginia it was sixteen sixty two I found out, when the law became that if you were you know, the the status of a human being was determined by the status of their mother. So if your mother was a slave, you were a slave for life. Turning motherhood into a curse. A horrible thing. And millions of people were born to this condition. And I'm, of course, aggrieved that it was mainly Christians who owned them and used them and sold them and broke apart families and every unconscionable act, very, very, very grievous. And, of course, their descendants physically bear their resemblance. And so they live with the knowledge of this, that their ancestors were so used and abused and mistreated, they cannot erase that. Uh, It's in their genes. And so the sin of racism, racial sin, propagated and it became encrusted into our very nature as a nation. The nations of the world, all with one voice, criticize the United States, not because they are innocents. Please. I lived in England. I saw how they treated their colonials. And I lived in France, and I saw how they are treated their So it's not that other nations are not also racist and uh, possibly even worse, depending on how you measure such things. But we don't measure ourselves against other nations. We as individuals measure ourselves as sinners in reference to Christ, the perfect one. And as nations, we have to measure ourselves against our declared values and our hope for call and goals, and of course it's a very grave distance. No other nation was founded upon such principles. The French tried to come close, but they uh, missed it by a mile, you know. Their declaration of the rights of men and the citizens says, all men are born equal same as the Soviet Constitution, same as the Cuban Constitution, same as the UN Charter of Human Rights, born. It's not the same as being created equal for for obvious reasons that I don't need to explain to you. So I saw how this evolved in the United States of America. I studied things I didn't know, uh, you know of course civil war terrible and then emancipation came 4 million slaves were emancipated a million of them had been sold from the north to the south over the previous century when the economy of the plantations changed things I didn't know uh, <clears throat> So the North had profited from selling their slaves to the South who now needed labor because the importation of of Africans was forbidden uh, earlier, and so they needed manpower. So anyway, and then after the Civil War, there was this uh, reconstruction, short little 12-year period where very nice laws were tried. Uh, For instance, Uh, 40,000 former slaves were granted little plots of 40, not so little by our standards, but 40 acres each along all the southern uh, states from um, South Carolina down to Florida, Georgia, Florida. It was a form of trying to redress the scandal of, slavery uh, for two and a half centuries. But Lincoln was assassinated and his uh, vice president uh, did not go along with that program which had already been implemented Uh, and so he uh, said no, this is a country of white men and this government will govern for white men so he, uh, they re-expropriated those lands and returned them to the former uh, plantation owners. Um, a bank had been set up, the Bank of the Freedmen, I found out, and, and 80,000 black people, former slaves, had deposited a million dollars. Um, but the board wasn't wise, there was a bunch of white people, and they made loans to unwisely, and within two years they went bankrupt. So, that was lost. And time after time, I learned so many things I didn't know. And you probably didn't know either, uh, depending how much you've taken an interest in these things. So, then the years come, and there is this Jim Crow era you you know about, and the the Black Codes, which, you know... um, They were not exactly equal, uh, and they had the vote, but it was very difficult to exercise. They don't know those things. And then we come to our days. Um, I lived already in the United States during the civil rights era. In fact, I was a civil rights organizer, organizing on behalf of the Hispanic people uh, in various states for Roughly a decade or so of my life. So I'm acquainted with what that tried to solve. But I also saw how it destroyed the family because, brethren, the church um, stepped aside and invited the government to do our charity for us. It ruined the family because he was not done in love. He was done as a matter of law, forced, and by bureaucracies, individuals, many of them wonderfully loving people, trying to serve they're human beings, but it was not the way God wants it. God wants love to be a personal sacrifice on our part, for us to lay our life, not for us to pay somebody to go lay their lives. That's not love, and it doesn't produce the results that love can happen. So I watched, even as a civil rights organizer, watch how the... Black family and, of course, the Hispanics right along with them, a little behind, uh, began to collapse because now uh, there was no need for the men. The male lost his role. Government now would take care of your children. And that's been going on since the mid-'60s, as you know. All the civil rights legislation, 12,000 pieces of legislation the great society. A utopia, a great idea, but with terrible, terrible consequences. And we have seen the consequences of that. I was also, as a young Christian, a prison guard. I saw the fruit of that. I saw the offspring of those absent fathers whose mothers had supported them with welfare at the government's hands. and. None of that was going on. That love that the Lord declared to be the great commandment did not function the way it needed to. It still doesn't. Uh, Loving God with all our heart and all our soul and all our mind and all our strength so that from there we would have the capacity and the ability to love our neighbor as ourselves. absent Public policy. Social justice became public policy. Charity became public policy. I read a very grievous book, it's called The Color of Law, that details uh, with great an abundance of documented information, how our law segregated people in, in neighborhoods. You know, red line neighborhoods meant no loans there. Nobody could buy a house because the banks were not going to give you a loan. It was too risky. The FHA said so. These were maps developed for every metropolitan city in the country. By our government, uh, official segregation, suppressing, putting down people, the descendants of the slaves. Not freed, but hamstrung. At every step and at every step. And so that brings me to today. Uh, I don't have to tell you that our jails and our prisons are filled with inordinate numbers. 70% of the population of our prisons is African-American. they are only thirteen percent of the population in general, but seventy percent. Horrible figures. I could go on and on, but it's not needful because I'm pointing to a sin. A sin of despising our neighbor instead of loving our neighbor and doing it particularly on the basis of what they look like. External characteristics that we don't like. They're not like us. They're not of us. It's it's like the the eye and the ear saying, No part. I have no part of you. But we do have part of us because God put together his body the way he Chose. And so we can't go against that. Uh, The scripture says that uh, to look down on your neighbor is to insult the maker, his maker. Proverbs. Uh, We've been insulting their maker for a very long time. And I find in my own heart insufficient consciousness of this. I'm not aware when I do it, as I do it, and how I don't suffer the scandal of a sin. I don't feel particularly grieved, uh, as though it had nothing to do with me. But inasmuch as I'm a citizen, I'm condoning it, unless I'm doing something about it telling somebody, as I'm telling you right now, or telling a public official, this ought not to be. No, no, we may not go this way. We have to go a different way. And, you know, I'm not a genius and I'm not here to propose any political solutions. Uh, This is not why you came to, to hear the word today, but to be reminded of what is the Great Commandment and to be reminded of what, that the facts do not align that the household wealth of white people on the average is seven times greater than the household wealth of black people on the average in America. There's a reason for that. It needs to disturb us. Maybe it needs to shock us. I don't know. But it needs to move us to the contemplation of the Lord and to see our own true state as a people and then as individuals, you know, what is my part in this? How do my economic decisions, my political decisions, contribute or not against this reality? Um, We are to be sought Salt hurts, if you've ever had it applied to an open piece of your skin. And we are to be light, we're to illumine, we're not to evade and avoid the ugly facts, but to face them and process them in the Lord. We need to be careful because we can be poisoned. When you deal with so much ugliness, bitterness can find a root in your heart and you can become you know, angry, we see a lot of examples of anger at these very issues on TV and in our news media. Uh, we need to be careful not to let ourselves be ruined. It's love that is the great commandment. It's not anger. Now, injustice does provoke anger. Jesus was anger, angry at injustice. Remember, turning the tables because of what they've done with his father's house, but it is not our modus operandi. Love is the great commandment. And so, I want to invite you, having heard these things and reflected on these things a little bit, to allow the Holy Spirit, allow the Holy Spirit, when we read the newspaper next, when we watch a TV next, when we have the first opportunity to interact with one of the descendants of these half a million African slaves that became uh, four million slaves by the time of uh, the Civil War and 40 million descendants by today. Think of the weight they carry, the knowledge and memory, and of course very vivid, very specific with grandma's name on it, and and the knowledge that they're being looked at this way that they're feared, that they're suspected. Just because they were born out of a white a black woman, uh, maybe black parents uh, and to see how the Lord might open up our bowels of compassion so that we might begin to act out of love, break the barrier of indifference and of busyness and of uh, perplexity, not knowing what to do. And let the Lord pour out some of his love. His love is abundant. It's not like ours. It's inexhaustible. He is able. Where we are not able, he is able. He's able to lead us into a better course. And he's also able to give us good ideas. He's able to maybe unite us in groups or as a church or however he would choose to do things that a single individual cannot do. I realize big social problems one single person cannot solve. But I am only one, but I am one. You know the famous uh, sequence of reasoning. And therefore, there is something God can do using me. He can change me. And then, from that, show me what else he wants to do. Through me. Uh, In me, and through me. And I could put that in terms of us. In us, and through us. So that, that commandment just won't lay there. Inert, incapable of touching so much injustice, so much evil as we have inherited and have in our hearts. Uh, One of the phrases I thought of as I was studying this was, um, racism is the devil's breath. It stinks. It comes from him. It doesn't come from God. This is what comes from God and we are God's people who gladly eagerly at times imperfectly always seek him to try to love him with all our heart with all our soul with all our mind and with all our strength let's pray together would you stand so that we can be awakened and spiritually as well as physically and more responsive maybe to the Lord uh, in whose presence we are. To present ourselves, Lord. Not necessarily a very pretty sacrifice, but the one you chose, your chosen ones. Uh, and having been exposed and uh, convicted with some facts and some memories and whatever your spirit has done in us, Lord, in this past few minutes, we, we want to respond to you, Lord, confessing our sin of not loving you, Father, but all our heart and soul and mind and strength and certainty of not loving our neighbor as ourselves. And since you, Father, know all things and you, knowing all things, still love us, still sent Jesus, to redeem these sinful tribes, we appeal to you, Father, for the grace, much, much grace, because our sin Lord certainly has much, much about it. Grant us, Holy Father, repentance where repentance is needed. Grant us, Lord, opportunity to love you by serving our neighbor. Point us, Lord, and enable us. In Jesus' holy name. Amen.